Jesus is really good at attracting people to himself. He knows exactly how to reach each and every person's heart, how to captivate both men and women, old and young alike. He knows how to draw souls into his influence, and he knows how to lead them to become fully committed, lifelong disciples. He is, as Pope St. Paul VI once put it, the first and the greatest evangelizer. But if that's the case, if Jesus is so good at attracting people to himself, then what on earth is going on in our gospel this weekend? In the story that we just heard, Jesus seems to be intentionally pushing this poor Canaanite woman away rather than attracting her to himself and and bringing her into the fold, he appears, at first anyways, to be repelling her, even deliberately discouraging her from coming any closer to him. We first heard her cry out, have pity on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. And to our astonishment, Jesus ignores her. Still, she continues to implore him to the point that Jesus' disciples start to complain. She keeps calling out after us, Jesus, send her away. Just get rid of her. And at this, the Lord seems to build a barrier between himself and this woman. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This woman is an outsider. She's a foreigner. She's not Jewish. And Jesus does not downplay that fact. In fact, for some reason, he even emphasizes it. It may sound strange to our modern ears anyways. It may sound as if Jesus is sort of annoyed by her. Even so, she doesn't back down. And instead, she drops to her knees and says, Lord, Lord, help me. And Jesus' heart bursts, right? And he rushes over to her, right? And he gives her a big hug, right? And, and he makes her feel all warm and fuzzy, right? Isn't that, what, isn't that what Jesus is supposed to do? Well, that's not actually what happens here. Instead, Jesus responds with what might sound like a cold shoulder or an insult. It is not right to take the food of the children, he says, and throw it to the dogs. And even after this, The woman absolutely refuses to quit. Please, Lord, she says, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. And only at those words do the walls come crumbling down, and Jesus replies directly to her with one of the warmest and most dignified and most positive divine responses to a human being that you will find on any page of sacred scripture. He says, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. Some scripture scholars think that the word woman used here is a veiled reference to Eve, the mother of all the living, and then of course, the new Eve, Our blessed mother, Mary, who is the new woman. Woman, great is your faith. But my question for this woman is, why did she stick it out? Why didn't she just run away in tears when Jesus seemed to reject her at first? 
I think that if I was in her shoes anyways, I would have thought to myself, I'm bothering him. I'm making him mad. I'm not supposed to be here. I don't want him to be annoyed with me anymore. I better stop asking. Do you ever feel that way in prayer? Like you're bothering God? Like you're bothering Jesus? If so, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Jesus was not annoyed by this Canaanite woman in our gospel. And guess what? When you ask him for what you need, he is not annoyed with you, ever. Can we just declare that truth this morning together? Jesus is not annoyed with me. Let's do it. One, two, three. Jesus is not annoyed with me. Beautiful. Isn't that freeing? It's beautiful. But back to our original question. Why did this woman stay? And if Jesus is such an expert evangelist, if he is better than anyone else at attracting people to himself, then what was going on here? Because if you read any book on evangelization, what Jesus does here in this episode is pretty much the opposite of what they tell you to do. Shouldn't we as a church be welcoming? Shouldn't we be friendly? Shouldn't we roll out the red carpet for newcomers and visitors and outsiders and those who don't know where they fit in right, right now? Of course, right? Of course we should. But let's unpack this story to get at something maybe deeper. Because usually when we hear the word evangelization, we start to think about marketing techniques. We start to ask, well, how can we best position the gospel so as to get people's positive reaction? How can we make the gospel as easy as possible to swallow? In a word, we start to believe somewhere that it's up to us to present the truth of Jesus in the least offensive manner possible. We sort of think that that's the way that people will be inspired to follow Jesus. If we can only somehow show everyone that our faith, our Catholic faith, is not so weird after all, not so hard after all, not so countercultural after all, the gospel thus becomes something to package and sell, a product to move off the shelves. It's something that we need to work very, very, very hard in order to persuade people to buy into because ordinarily, really, they don't want it. And it's up to us to make them realize, actually, this is something that you kind of want. But notice what lurks behind that assumption. What we're saying when we do that sort of thing is that Jesus, as is, is not attractive. That the gospel needs some fine-tuning on our end before the ordinary person on the street could possibly remotely be interested in saying yes to it. And that's a lie. That's a lie. Look at Jesus' interaction here with the Canaanite woman. We see there that the person of Jesus is objectively attractive. He's beautiful. He's good. He's holy. He's desirable. Even when he is being sort of challenging when he's pushing the envelope and calling us to deeper conversion. He did not need to bend over backwards to win the Canaanite woman's attention or her admiration. He did not need to soften his message or make it any easier for her to swallow. He simply needed to be himself. To be himself. 
and his holiness pulsated and overflowed such that she was in awe of him. She recognized that he was God come in the flesh. She recognized that he was somehow the king of her heart. She recognized that he had an absolute claim on her, that even, that even a few scraps that fell from his table would be enough for her. And so she was willing to risk it all. She was willing to risk even being pushed away if she had to be, because Jesus' presence was so deeply alluring, so terribly interesting, so attractive. In a certain way, you could even say that Jesus was playing kind of hard to get. And this filled the woman with an even greater curiosity and faith to seek what he clearly had to offer her. It sort of egged her on, we might say. And I think we can relate to this because we tend to want what we can't have easily, right? We want things to be a little bit hard. We don't want the video game to be too easy to beat, right? We, we want to have to do a little bit of work to get into shape, right? We want to we wanna feel like we accomplished something, that there's something that happened. If it's too easy, then we start to wonder, what's the catch? Maybe it's too good to be true. Nothing turns us off more than a desperate salesman who is trying way too hard. We get suspicious, don't we? What's this guy trying to pull on me? What's in it for him? We start to wonder. Thankfully, Jesus is not a desperate salesman. He's secure. He knows what he's about. He knows that he is the beloved son of the Father. He's not trying to impress anyone. He's not trying to perform or try to present himself in a way that's like more, more palatable. He knows who he is. And he knows that the grace that he offers is totally free and readily available to everyone, yes. But that grace isn't cheap. It demands something of each one of us. It requires the test of love. I wonder sometimes if one of the reasons, now there might be a lot of reasons out there, but maybe one of the reasons why some people struggle to believe in God. Maybe some people are not interested in hearing what we have to say because we as Christians have at times tried too hard. We sort of become like that desperate salesman. And in order to try attracting people to the truth, we start to kind of present another version of Jesus that's maybe soft and sentimental and easier to believe in. But when we do that to Jesus, we got to ask, who would die for that? Would that version of, of the gospel of Jesus inspire a generation of martyrs? I don't think so. The real Jesus, on the other hand, the Jesus who is depicted in the gospels, is worth dying for. He is wild and untamed. He is unpredictable like the wind. He's breathlessly alive. He promises eternity and he demands total allegiance. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. He speaks of that narrow, hard, crucified way that leads up to heaven. He points out the broad and well-paved path that leads down to hell. He harnesses the winds and the waves. He effortlessly casts out demons. He eats meals with social outcasts. He speaks the hard truths 
when nobody else wants to hear it. He boldly names our sins, and then he even more boldly forgives them in his mercy, his divine mercy. He is our intimate friend. He's our intimate God walking among us. We belong to him, and he belongs to us. That is the Jesus who the Canaanite woman approaches today in our gospel. The real, living, terribly beautiful, terribly attractive Jesus. And so the church's job is to provide everyone on the face of the earth with opportunities to come face to face and encounter the real Jesus. Our job is to let Jesus be himself. He is the first and greatest evangelizer. And though his methods often defy our worldly expectations, they do work. They actually do reach hearts, and they call us all to true conversion. So it turns out that we don't need to smooth out those sharp edges of the gospel in order to win hearts. We just need to let Christ be Christ and the church be the church. And that's what we're going to do today for these two little ones, right? We're going to introduce them to the real Jesus in the, the regenerative waters of baptism. These two beautiful children who God loved into existence, we're going to introduce them for the first time to, to God's divine life in the midst of the church. They're going to be washed of original sin, and they're going to be given this identity that is indelible. We're going to introduce them to Jesus today and then introduce them to him, the real Jesus, for the rest of their lives. For the rest of their lives. What a gift. If we do that, if we all do that in our own lives, following the Holy Spirit's lead, then we can trust that our risen Lord will gather all people to himself. He will inspire belief and boldness in countless new believers until the Lord's mountain will be called a house of prayer for all peoples, right? So that at the end of our lives, he will look upon us as he did that Canaanite woman, and he will say, woman, great is your faith. Oh, daughter, great is your faith. Oh, son, great is your faith. Come and inherit everything that I've promised you. It's all yours. Don't settle for scraps that fall from the master's table. Come and have everything. Have Jesus, the real Jesus.